Let's pray. Lord, help us rejoice in the good news of your gospel. Help us be drawn to the amazing grace and hear and follow what your word has to say for us, Lord. May our hearts and minds be able to understand the depth of the grace you reveal through your word. pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So as humans, we have this massive obsession with seeing things for ourselves. When there's someone hurt, our immediate instinct is just to rush and crowd the person that is injured. We aren't satisfied with just hearing it. We want to see the dramatic thing that is happening. If there is something dangerous or violent around the corner, all we want to do is look. There's a part of us that kind of says, hmm, that's a bit dangerous, maybe I should run away. But then there's that other part of us that's like, hmm, that's dangerous, but I kind of really want to see it. And so people will tell me of these videos on YouTube. They'll tell me these fascinating things that I can find on the internet. Videos of a person that can shoot a balloon in like a quarter of a second. They describe it to me how the guy just pulls it out of his holster cowboy style and he goes bang, bang, and he does the crazy cowboy thing. And you blink and you miss it. But then the two balloons that are like 10 meters apart have popped. And so what do I do in the response to this conversation? I go straight home, I'm on the computer, I'm typing it up, and I'm like, man, two balloons, quick draw into the search bar, and it, what do you know, it comes up. And so, I'm watching this video, and there I have it, this guy that's shooting this balloon. And if you're really curious about this video, you can go home and watch it for yourself, but you're just making my point. You want to see things for yourself. The times that I've spent just sitting on YouTube, watching video after video until 3 a.m., purely because of the curiosity that the title brings me. Man shoots bullet through grass in slow... Grass? Glass? In slow-mo. Lion hunts down gazelle. Crocodile eats deer at the waterhole. Elephant sneezes. How to cut open a turtle. Man cuts watermelon into the shape of Homer Simpson. Man jumps off roof on... From house onto trampoline. Person fits 30 marshmallows in mouth. Robot plays guitar. Woman breaks legs doing weights. Or best of all, 200,000 domino fall video. There's nothing more calming than a domino fall video. (laughs) But maybe YouTube videos don't cut it for you. But the fact is we have this itching desire to see things. You can't just listen. You'd really want to hear you really want to see what people have done. It's that same instinct that people do to crowd when the firemen are putting out a house fire. Or it's the same thing that you feel when you're walking down Darling Harbour and there's this loud performer and there's a massive crowd around it and you just want to peek over and see what the performer is actually performing. We are obsessed with seeing things for ourselves. And so the beautiful thing about this obsession that we want to see things is that God meets our curiosity. He knows our desire to see things. He doesn't unlovingly think these spoilt humans, they're always wanting to see things. They should learn by now just to trust in me. There's been hundreds of years of humans that don't trust me. They they should just trust, they should just believe what I say. Despite our foolishness, God says, I will meet them where they are at and show them that I am truly Lord of all. And we see this in the recount of the tombstone being moved by John. 
And so I hope you have your Bibles open to John 20, because we're going to go through it bit by bit. So John begins at the beginning of the week. It's dark. The sun hasn't risen. It's dark. It's pre-dawn. Mary goes to the tomb, trudging through the darkness, and Mary is super sad that she's lost her close friend, Jesus. She's lost her treasured and special loved one. It's almost a scene straight out of Hollywood. The darkness, a metaphor for the darkness wrapping over Mary's heart as she walks to the tomb. She trudges along as the background music plays, plays along in the background. And it's playing in a minor key, of course, because when you want a sad scene, you play in a minor key. And Mary gets all the way to the tomb and finds that the entrance is open. The entrance to a tomb is not like your typical bedroom door that you just leave open willy-nilly. It's not a door with a nice polished doorknob and a solid wooden frame and well-oiled hinges. It's just a fat block of stone. It's not even round most of the time. Most tombs those days just had a fat rectangle stone closing the door because you're not going to use it much. And so it wouldn't just roll away. You'd need a couple of bodybuilders just to push it away. It wasn't an accident that the wind just blew across one day and the tombstone just decided, oh, oh we're open now. We, everyone can see the dead body inside. It wasn't an accident. The tomb was left intentionally open and Mary was obviously confused by this sight. Look to me with verse, at verse 1. Early on the first day of the week... While it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so in Mary's shock that the tomb is open, her natural response is to find help. She runs to the people that are closest to Jesus, two of his disciples. Then she tells them of what she saw. She probably assumed that what had happened was grave robbers. Grave robbery was a normal thing. Tombs were often filled with valuables, jewellery, oils, clothes that were meaningful to the dead person. There was plenty of things to, to grab from the tomb where you could make a quick buck. Nobody guarded them, and if you didn't mind the dead bodies, it was an easy way to make some money. And so it was common for thieves to do that in this time. And so back to Mary. She's distressed, she's freaking out because she thinks, oh no, there have been grave robbers to the tomb. She's distressed, and she thinks that people have taken everything from the tomb, even the body. These sick freaks have taken a body from a tomb. Where could the body be? Why was this happening? The body is missing. Verse 2. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And then here we have the perfect example of human curiosity. This need to see things for ourselves. John and Peter don't just go, oh, cool, Mary. So we'll take your word for it. That's pretty ridiculous that the tombstone's been moved. What should we do now? They have that same humanly obsession to see things, to go and stave their curiosity, so they run as fast as they can fueled by their confusion, fueled by their inquisitiveness to see for themselves what has happened. They're not okay with hearing the news. 
They need to see things for themselves. And so they're racing over to the tomb and John's recounting that he's faster faster to the tomb than Peter. Because, you know, if you're writing a book that's going to last all of eternity, you might as well say, hey, I'm the better athlete. (laughs) You settle that score with Peter for all those years that you were with Jesus. You know, Jesus didn't say who his favorite disciple was, but at least John gets to be the faster runner in all of eternity, right? Not really. When John was writing this book decades later, it didn't just cross his mind to prove himself as the faster runner. He wrote this book with the purpose of helping us know Jesus more. This isn't just some story that John is telling us so that we can read till the end and just applaud because it's an amazing story like we do at the end of a concert or an opera. This is a detailed eyewitness report of what John had experienced, including all the little details to show that he was actually there. He was just sharing everything that he had seen. And so these details just prove the truthfulness of John's account, of what had happened after Christ's death. He was showing that he wasn't just making it up, but it was something that really happened to him. It's to prove that they did indeed see that the tombstone was rolled away. Verse 3. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of the linen lying there, but did not go in. John gets there and sees what's left in the tomb and waits for Peter, who storms right into the tomb. Typical Peter, right? Peter the eager beaver, jumping off on the boat into stormy waters, the same smart-mouthed Peter who got told, get behind me, Satan, by Jesus. So they get inside the tomb, and they find that the linens were all placed there nicely and untouched. Verse 6. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there. They barge into the tomb, and what does John write about? He writes about linen. He said the word linen and cloth like five times in the span of four sentences. Well, if he said it that many times, then clearly John has a freakish obsession with linen, or he's trying to make a point. My best guess is he's making a point. John's making a point that the linens are still there. If the grave robbers had come then they wouldn't have left all the expensive linen and spices and they would have just rushed out. They wouldn't have time to take Jesus' body and all the clothes off and they wouldn't have any reason to take a body in the first place. You don't make money stealing bodies. Not only that, the linens are folded and unfortunately in the NIV, which is the Bible that is in most of your hands, doesn't say that, but in the ESV, Verse 7 is translated as, And the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Why are the linens folded? They should have been on his head when he rose again. They would have just fallen off him. Jesus left the linens folded. Everything he did was intentional. Jesus was trying to get our attention that he had overcome death. 
He had the victory. This was his hint. He wanted us to see that he was actually risen from the dead. Death's sting had been removed. It wasn't just that the linens were refolded, but the tombstone was moved away. Jesus had no use for doors. Later in John 20, we find out that Jesus can appear in a locked room. So why is Jesus waking up and folding his clothes, walking out of the door? Jesus doesn't just get out of the bed, get dead. Doesn't just wake up from the dead and just goes, mm. Oh, waking up from the dead. Well, better fold my clothes, make my deathbed, and then just walk out and strut out and walk out of my burial place. The tombstone was removed not because Jesus needed doors. It was for us. The tombstone was open for us to see what God had done. He opened the tomb so that we could see for ourselves that Jesus wasn't there. He invited us into the tomb. The tombstone being moved is God wanting us to see. He was grabbing our attention. And he's like that kindergarten show-and-tell kid that's bringing that rock from down the creek. And he's going, here, guys, this is the rock I found. But God is showing a rock that has been moved that can save all of mankind. He's showing us the salvation of mankind. He's inviting us to see that. He knew that we had this obsessive curiosity. He knew that we want to see things for ourselves. And he knew that we would want to see for ourselves that Jesus was risen. And so he meets us where we're at. He shows us the marvelous things that he has done for us. He shows us the tombstone and he shows us the folded linen. Look at verse 7. As well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head, the cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Isn't this such a beautiful passage? When I discovered that God had put everything in this passage perfectly, I realized it wasn't just a repetitive passage about linens and cloths, or it wasn't just another recount about Jesus rising from the dead. It was a passage about God's plan, his perfect plan, where he wants to show us what he has done for us. God absolutely loves meeting us where we're at. And so God shows us these signs, the moved tombstone, the folded linen, to show that he is with us. He's inviting us to see that he wasn't dead. But sometimes, even though we have the folded linen and the tombstone rolled away, we can get caught up in our emotions. We get too caught, we get too hurried with things of our lives. We are too focused on our emotions, our struggles, and we don't stop and see. We don't stop and see that God is already with us. We forget how badly God wants to capture our attention and let us see the hope of Christ being risen. This is the desire of God to show us that nothing he has done is an accident, but everything he has done is to show us his goodness to us. And it happens to the best of us. 
we miss something because we're just not attentive enough. I'm sure everyone here has experienced that flurry of everything happening all in one go, all these urgent things that we need to attend to, and then we're looking for something and we just can't find it. It's those times when you have your glasses on your head and you're like, guys, where are my glasses? Can you see them? Where, I, I've been looking for days. It's when you're in a rush and you've got an appointment to be and you're like, where are my keys? Where are my keys? And meanwhile, you've just got your keys in your hand. Isn't that what Peter, Mary and John sound like when they're frantically looking for Jesus, Jesus' body and they miss the initial signs? They don't see the folded linen. They don't see the tombstone. Sometimes this is what we sound like when we're going through trials and suffering. We think that we are looking, but we're not looking properly. We become so consumed with our emotions. Our emotions feel so overwhelming that we can't control the anxiety. We can't control the sadness. We can't control the stress, the pressure. Dealing with these emotions feel like we have to climb up Mount Everest. We look at the mountain of our problems in front of us and we can't see the other side. The mountain blocks our vision of seeing what God has actually done for us already. I'm sure most of you sitting here have felt that before. When you have just no hope, you feel like Mary at the beginning of the passage, absolutely despairing, hopeless. We feel like God can't hear our prayers or that we're too unlovely and too dirty and too unworthy to hear God hear our cries. We feel lost that God isn't there. God can't overcome this problem. God won't help me with this problem because I've sinned this and that. God doesn't help me with this part of my life. God's busy fixing other stuff in my life. God blesses this person more than he blesses me. We tell ourselves all these things in our inner voice and we convince ourselves that this is the truth. But whilst we are stuck in these thoughts, these hopeless thoughts, God has already left this folded linen and he's already moved this tombstone away. God cares so much about us. He cares so much about us that he cares that we actually see the good things that he's done for us. We've lost sight of what God has done for us in his word. We've lost, so, we've lost sight of how much he loves and cares for us. We've forgotten the beauty of the gospel. But what a beautiful thing to see. That the tombstone is moved away. That the linens are folded. He meets us while we're still beating ourselves up. And he offers the grandest of invitations. He invites us to be with the high and mighty king. We get to be with him. He invites us into a hope that cannot fail us, no matter how great or hard the circumstances may be. He invites us into an unshakable relationship where he loves us unendingly, even when we feel distant. He loves us so much that he isn't phased by where we're at. He's willing to meet us in whatever mess we've made because he is just helping us to see his faithfulness. He's helping us see his love for us. He doesn't sit up in heaven grumbling at our flaws and our constant failure. He sees us lovingly as the father looks at his beloved child. This is God's grand invitation. He shows us what he has done. He invites us 
to be with him. And for you here, you might be doing well right now or you might be struggling with life. But whatever the stage of your life, God is saying, look, look at what great promises I have for you. Remember that through Christ, I have reconciled the relationship with us. I poured out all my wrath on Christ so that your greatest need would be met. You and I may now be together. This is the supreme joy that I have given you. He's desperately trying to capture your attention and your full attention onto his glory because he knows that there is nothing more magnificent, nothing more majestic, nothing more beautiful, nothing more perfect, nothing more amazing or awe-inspiring than him. Nothing is better than for you to look to him. And so God is inviting you to see what he has done for you. God wants you to see these things. Look at the folded linen. Look at the rolled tombstone. They're not just pieces of cloth. They're not just pieces. It's not just a big rock. And if you're not convinced that the folded linen and the open tombstone is enough sign, then read this book. Because this is only one story of God trying to get your attention to see what he has done for you. In this book, we can see that the perfect plan he had began for us leading up to Christ and then leading up to Christ's return. He created us for a reason. He knew his plan for our salvation before the world even began. He showed this all so that we could be completely secure in the Father's love. So that we can be sure that we've been purchased by the blood of Christ and in God that we have an unfailing hope. The entire Bible is God showing folded linen and showing open tombstones. We know that God is with us because of the folded linen. We know that God cares because he has showed us the moved tombstone. He wants us to see. He wants us to see what he has done in Christ Jesus. God wants you to see. And so let me part you with these final words from Romans 8:38 to 39. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, are you trusting that God wants you to see? Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help our joy be full in you because, of we, because we know that you have the desire to see that the tombstone has been moved because you want to invite us to see that Christ is risen, Lord. That is your desire. And so, Father, we pray that any of those people, any of the people in our congregation that are discouraged, we pray that they would truly see the linen and they would truly see the tombstone and know how much you want to capture their attention and show them how great you are and how satisfying you are and how much joy you can fill them with, Lord. Lord, help us all as a church, as Chaswood Prezi, we pray that you would help us remember the folded linen.
for our own life, Lord, because you want us to see. You want us to trust that you are our complete home. So, Lord, capture us, capture our attention that we may see how great you are. We pray this in Jesus' name.